Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year especially, everyone is looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one, the Honda Summer Clearance Event. Right now, get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on remaining new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. And if you can't or don't want to come to our dealership, no problem. We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. Just visit cmacars.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and tell us where you want your car delivered. Do as much or as little of the buying process as you want. It's entirely up to you. If you'd like to do it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we'll walk you through it. If you have any questions, we're always here to help. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. On select models with approved credit through 831-2020. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 1061. And good Friday morning, everybody. Hope you've had a great week so far as we continue to work towards hopefully a new normal as uh, things start to come back slow but sure. We're hoping that uh, these pharmaceuticals take place and we're able to find something that will take place, get a vaccine going, get everything back. As soon as possible, everybody waiting with bated breath to have the world start spinning again the way it was over five months ago when everything was fine and then all of a sudden uh, things weren't. But uh, we're hoping for the best, and we know there's a lot of intelligent folks working in the medical community. They have our thoughts and prayers as we work towards a solution to this pandemic. want to wish everybody a great Friday. Hope you're doing well wherever you're at, listening around the country, internationally as well. We thank all of you for joining us, Facebook Live, Sports 1061. And I want to thank our sponsors before we get going. Of course, we can't do the show without our great sponsors. The Nerve Company, never underestimate Radical Vision. You can reach CEO Andrew Fisher and his outstanding team in Denver, Colorado. Good morning to you, Denver, Colorado. You can go to www.thinkoutsidethewebsite.com. They do graphics, website design, marketing plans. They do it all, and they do it at www.thinkoutsidethewebsite.com. 
and CMA's Colonial Honda. They continue to keep lives moving forward. Go out and see for yourself. They have new cars, used cars, an amazing selection, which can be delivered directly to your door if you want them to. Take it from me. They delivered my new vehicle right to the house, did the paperwork, 30 minutes in and out amidst the pandemic. Never thought I'd see that, and they were able to do it. Tim Cogsgrove, the outstanding president general manager, said, listen, not just Sports King, but anybody out there that needs a car, we'll get it to them. We'll take it directly to their house and deliver it with white glove treatment, and boy, do they do that. Uh, Tim Cosgrove has the best car selling team in the country. They will make it happen for you every time. That's CMA's Colonial Honda. How about our great friend, Dr. Paul Ross? If you have a foot problem of any kind, Dr. Ross and his staff will get you on the road to recovery with offices in Springfield, Virginia, and Bethesda, Maryland. Join the over 240,000 people that have been through his doors to see the best in the business, Dr. Paul Ross and the Podiatry Center. The Sports King Show features the Ross Rules of Foot Care. It's heard here weekly to help those in need of foot care advice and assistance. And don't look now, but it's the return of the Joe Mowgli Report. Of course, that's exclusively brought to you by Coastal Carolina University. Listen to the current chairman of TD Ameritrade, who offers insight on life, finance, and sports. It's heard here weekly on the Sports King Show. It's the Joe Moglia Report. Speaking of Joe's, We've got another guy that's no ordinary Joe. He's coming up in hour number two. Uh, Joe Galata, a great friend of mine, a guy that I've respected for a long time. He's a former coach with the New York football giants in the NFL. Uh, of course, he uh, had staffs that he built that led uh, the CFL's Grey Cup six-time champion there, and he's had so many championships and been a part of championships and on the coaching side and so forth. He's also the current president of the American Youth Football and uh, over 250,000 members in there in terms of the American Youth Football. Does an amazing job for kids and is one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life in terms of stories and uh, uh, the quality of the man. He's just a great guy. You sit down in Florida with him, and uh, when he starts telling stories, you just listen and laugh and laugh and laugh. He's a great guy. You don't want to miss that in hour number two. And he'll talk about his coaching uh, time with the Giants and, of course, uh, working now amidst the pandemic. He's got a brand-new book coming out, and he'll talk about that. That's Joe Galat, our special guest in hour number two. I want to start the show today with some very uh, concerning news. Uh, we saw yesterday the Washington head coach Ron Rivera has been diagnosed with cancer, but he plans to continue coaching, as told to ESPN's Adam Schefter Thursday night. Rivera was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma located in his lymph node. The, doc, the team said in a statement, Rivera said the cancer is in the very early stages, thank goodness, and is considered very treatable and curable. Great news for Ron Rivera. He told his players about the diagnosis in a team meeting Thursday night. As of now, he said nothing changes with the job as of right now. He said, I'm planning to go on coaching. He told Adam Schefter, doctors encouraged me to do it. They said, if you feel strongly, do it. Don't slow down. Do your physical activities. But everyone keeps telling me by week three, four, you'll start feeling it. According to the Mayo Clinic, uh, Clinic uh, squamous cell cancer is a form of skin cancer. It is usually not life-threatening, but can spread throughout the body and cause serious complications. And folks I've talked to in the medical community, of course, the lymph node is nothing to fool around with. It's very serious, but at the same time, um, 
as he said and his doctors have said, it's very treatable if they find it early enough. And we send our best thoughts and prayers to Ron Rivera, a very quality man that we want the very best for here in D.C., and we want to see him get off to a great start, and we're sorry for the setback. We certainly hope he'll recover soon. Rivera, though, said he has a plan B in place, though he wasn't ready to divulge more information. Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio has been a head coach for two teams, the Jaguars and the Raiders. No one else on the staff has head coaching experience in the NFL. The fifth Rivera has consulted with a number of doctors and specialists and is establishing a treatment plan with the team and an outside specialist. Rivera said he found a lump on his neck in early July, and when it didn't go away after a couple weeks, he visited a doctor. He was told of the cancer two weeks ago. Rivera went on to say, I was stunned, but I was angry because I felt like I was in the best health I've ever been in. Rivera has led Washington through a tumultuous, off-season tumultuous with a capital T. Uh, They put the fun and dysfunction up there. And this has featured several off-field issues, including the coronavirus pandemic, name change in a report detailing sexual harassment allegations within the organization. Lately, Rivera was upbeat as he could focus on football with practice beginning. The team started working in full pads this past Tuesday. Rivera appeared to be his normal self during video conferences, interview sessions with the media. However, during other times, Rivera clearly has other things on his mind. He said he's just been angry. The one thing I find out, how many people have been going through this and I understand the seriousness of this. Some people uh, around him, of course, were stunned. A bunch of them came up and wished him well. He said he's going to be a little more cranky than usual, so don't blank me off. Tick me off. We'll say tick. How about that? Players have taken a Rivera very early on, and he's definitely a player's coach that they're looking to get behind, hopefully turning this thing around. It has been an absolute mess from A to Z in dc but rivera is the one guy that's been offering some stability so let me tell you from a coaching aspect where we're at here i hope and pray ron rivera is able to make it through the season i'm hoping that this thing will come and go and he can pick up and continue to move on wish him the best of health but the plan b he has in place i know what the plan b is i think everybody sees what the plan b is and that would be this if Ron Rivera was unable to continue on the coaching side and had to take time away. You simply insert Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio is a quality guy, a quality coach. These guys are both Pac-10 guys, so they know a lot about each other and they have a lot of respect for each other, obviously on the same staff, and they've uh, been able to be friends through the years. But Jack Del Rio, who was with the Raiders and with the Jaguars, is a guy that demands respect as well. So there's going to be no drop-off from a standpoint of respect. Jack Del Rio demands it. Ron Rivera demands it. The thing about these guys that I love more than anything at Ashburn, in the nation's capital, in the DMV, is the letter A, and that's for accountability, something there has not been in forever in the nation's capital. Because we've had a bunch of guys come here, like the Jay Gruden's of the world, that want to put his hand on his chin and look out and say, why me? And you never saw any type of hair. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do to fix this. It was just kind of like accepting it as it is. And, oh, well, we'll try to get it next time. Like the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, great college coach. But if I had to hear him say one more time during a press conference after a loss, what are you going to do this week, coach, to improve? Well, we're going to pitch and catch, and we're going to throw it around a little bit and work on uh, what we're doing wrong. No real detailed plan, much like a Joe Gibbs who would come in and say, here's what we're going to do and break it down for you. And you really had a feeling like there was something going on beneath the surface, that there was going to be a plan of action. And Joe Gibbs always 
uh, came through with that type of plan. Now, it didn't always work, but he always had a plan. He was able to implement the plan. Ron Rivera has a plan. Jack Del Rio has a plan. And we're excited to see it going. We're sorry about this news and announcement because it's something that we definitely are taking serious and we know that Coach will be better. We're certainly sending our best to him. But Jack Del Rio, should he step in, you know, you're not going to have that precipitous drop-off with Jack Del Rio. He's a guy that knows how to win. He's a player's coach, and the players will run through wall for the guy. I know people that know Jack, and they talk about, you know, the fact that he's very well-liked by people. He, Yes, he is demanding. Yes, he wants you to play hard like he did when he played, but he wants a guy that's going to give everything he has, and that's what you want from a coach. He, somebody's going to demand excellence from his players. That's what the accountability factor means now in Washington. Yes, we don't have a name. And yes, we have a lot of issues. But there are issues, and we're trying to deal with them as fans and try to get through this and navigate the waters. And we know we still have the burgundy and gold, so we get to keep something from the old team. Don't know anything yet on the name, and some people have said it may take up to a year or longer. Who knows? But the situation now is you've got a coach that is demanding players are accountable. And if you're not accountable and you don't do what's right, like Darius Geis, you will not be a part of this organization. There is no room for anybody stepping afoul of the law. You have to understand, if you're out there and you're a free agent or you're somebody who's going to get drafted or somebody coming in here, the one thing you have to say to yourself before you sign that contract, you have to understand, if there's one team amongst all the NFL teams under a microscope, it's this one. So if you're a knucklehead and you want to run afoul of the law or do something stupid or put your hands on your girlfriend or use drugs or do anything stupid, you're not going to be here because this organization, not only under the microscope, but everything is being watched times 10 because any little thing is going to be magnified here more than anywhere else. And it's not going to be acceptable. If you're going to be that bad guy or the renegade or think you can do it your way, you're going to be out the door very quickly. Mark my words on this. Uh, Darius Geis is just the first. If anybody else wants to join Knucklehead Village, they're going to be gone as quickly as uh, you can say goodbye. So that's the situation there. Very uh, tumultuous offseason, as we know, with all the off-field issues. But Ron Rivera, you know, we certainly didn't see this coming, and it's a shock to the system, but we know he's going to face it head up, and we know he'll get through it and move forward. And that's the situation there. Uh, in other news, in terms of the NFL and NFL circles, the Dallas Cowboys, Mike McCarthy said that, of course, winning the Super Bowl is the only goal he has. He said, I think any conversation other than winning the Super Bowl is, quite frankly, nonsense. He said when asked about Super Bowl or bust expectations, if you're not trying to win the Super Bowl, I don't know what you're even doing in the business. And I love that about him because that's the way I think. If you're not there to win it all, and you're a guy going in and saying, let's just have a winning season, let's go 500, let's put our best foot forward, you're not the guy I want to be around. I want that guy that goes in saying, guys, we got one mission, to be the very best to win this thing, and here's the mission that we're going to go on, and here's how we're going to get there. Uh, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to have a plan, a detailed plan in effect, and Mike McCarthy has had that plan in effect as he's worked in the off seasons when he wasn't coaching the Packers and preparing for this. So I can guarantee as much as I don't want to say this, Dallas Cowboys fans, I know Mike McCarthy being detailed, being an offensive guy, has really put the time in 
during the off seasons when he has been coaching to get ready for this opportunity. And so I believe you're going to see a very solid product that is going to be capable of winning and you'll be very proud of what he'll put out there. I just can't see it work any other way. I think he really is going to help Dak Prescott go to another level. Uh, McCarthy went on to say, I think that's what every team wants to start their all season with. The ones that don't want to talk about it, they're probably just trying to under-promise, over-achieve. But I've always been up front and very upfront with every team I've ever coached. We're in this to win a championship. Make no bones about it. And if I'm a coach and if I'm a fan, I want a coach that says that right from the front. Remember years ago, it was Jim Fossil. And I always remember this, and I love this to this day. And not being a fan of the G-Men, but when he coached the Giants and there was that uh, opportunity where some folks in the media felt they weren't sure if the Giants were going to make a playoff run, he stood up before the microphones and said, listen, this team is going to the playoffs. We will go to the playoffs. And I'm putting all the chips in the center of the table. Everybody that wants in, get in. Everybody that wants out, get out but we're going to the playoffs, and they did go to the playoffs. So when you look at Jim Fossil, those are the kind of guys that I love because they put their money where their mouth is, and they're able to say, I'm going to earn this, and we're going to do this. And when the head guy says that, it may not always happen, but it makes everybody around you say, you know what, this guy has a higher level thinking. He has a higher level expectation versus just going in. And do you ever remember Jay Gruden saying, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. Our goal is the Super Bowl. You never heard that because, you know, week to week, it was a, such a debacle. You never knew what was going to happen, and you never saw the progression from a team standpoint. So you were lucky to just get a W. That's not how Mike McCarthy thinks. Now, I'm not saying he's getting ready to go to the Super Bowl, so Cowboys fans don't start printing any uh, Super Bowl tickets just yet. But I do know this is a guy that you want with that type of thinking. And, uh, of course, he was always talking about – getting ahead in Green Bay, winning it in Green Bay. He hasn't changed that now in Dallas. And so he's talked about the fact that we're all in a pandemic. Every coach is coaching in this training camp environment. The players are doing a great job with the COVID challenge. It's going to be a long, long year. It's going to be a huge challenge to get the championship. That's the reality of it. But at the end of the day, we're on install six, so we've got a lot of work to do. McCarthy won a Super Bowl previously with the Green Bay Packers at AT&T Stadium, but the Cowboys have not won a Super Bowl or even played in the NFC Championship game since back to 1995. Since the franchise last Super Bowl win, the Cowboys have won just four postseason games. So the Cowboys 1995, the former Redskins, now current Washington football team 1991. There's been a long, long drought if you're a Cowboys fan or Washington fan. So that's the situation there with those two teams. But Mike McCarthy, I'm promising you this, you'll see an improved team over Jason Garrett. I mean, Garrett, of course, supposed to be an offensive guru, is now with the Giants. And I kind of hate this because it, it just looks like you regurgitate and you just send guys around because they coach somewhere. He must know something, so let's put him in as an offensive coordinator. But when you look beneath the surface, what are the G-men getting? You're getting a guy that was okay in Dallas. He didn't do anything spectacular in Dallas. But because he's a nice guy and a former coach, let's make him the offensive coordinator. I would rather have guys come in with some pedigree or something that you can see some promise in. Jason Garrett has been there long enough to where I haven't seen anything that says to me, if I'm an owner, i got to have this guy. I can't live without this guy. He's so talented. i got to have him here. Just haven't done that. Now, Scott Turner, of course, uh, in the lineage of the Turners, Norv Turner and Ron Turner, uh, he's got football in his blood. 
He's been with Carolina. Wasn't, in my opinion, spectacular. Wasn't a high-scoring offense where you were like, wow, look at that Carolina offense. Look what they're doing, the great things they're doing. So when he came here, while I want him to succeed, while I hope that he, he succeeds, I don't know that he will because I don't know how that Carolina offense is going to translate here and how it's going to perform in D.C. So that's a question I still, the jury's still out. And then beyond that, we got quarterback issues. Who do we play? The veteran recovering from a horrific injury or the rookie or one-year guy that hasn't had a lot of success? He had a couple games at the end of the year that went well. Of course, the one game he wins early on. He doesn't finish out because he's too busy taking selfies. So you wonder to yourself, you know, it's a youth aspect. You know, he's excited. He's overtaking selfies. But how many times do you remember even a picture of a rookie quarterback? And and I'm just asking, how many times have you ever seen a rookie quarterback taking pictures with fans and not finishing out a ball game that he was supposed to finish? Think about that for a second. The answer is zero. I've never seen it before. I hope I never see it again. That shows me, while I love the fact that he wants to interact with fans, I want him interacting in the game. This is a victory, victory formation with you, the guy that were basically authored it. You were there throughout the entire four quarters. Finish it up. It'd be like a pitcher going eight innings, getting into the ninth, and about halfway through walking off the field without being asked to and just going over and hanging out with the fans. I mean, come on, you've got to finish what you start. And he was just, his mind's elsewhere. He wasn't focusing. Hey, we got the win, so I don't need to go back out there. Uh, of course, they had to go out and uh, finish it without him. And uh, Case Keenum went out and took a knee for him. But it's the situation that he was not mentally there. And that w- that's what bothers me. He wasn't in tune with the score, the time of the game. Finish this out for the next couple minutes, go ahead, finish the game out, then go over. And if you want to go up with a band and start playing the drums, I don't care. If you want to go and play the trumpet, I don't care, but finish the game, do what you're supposed to do. Be engaged with your teammates, win the game, victory formation, hold the ball up, hand it to the coach, whatever you want to do, then go over and sign a million autographs, do whatever you want. But when you don't do that and you're taking selfies, it shows me maybe I got a guy here that's not all in. Maybe he's somewhere else. Maybe his thoughts aren't here. Maybe he's not thinking about the team first. Maybe he's thinking about other things first, the party and the fun and everything else that goes with it, but not finishing up what he's supposed to. So it's just a little thing, but it could be a big thing. And I think this offseason he's made some strides. We're hearing great things about him losing weight. We're hearing things about him improving overall. So I expect a better Haskins Jr. this year than we've seen last year. I see a lot of improvement, hear a lot of improvement. Hopefully it translates to the field where we can see some big things because if not, you got Alex Smith, number 11, sitting right there. Kyle Allen also, who knows this offense right there. So we're going to see how it all shakes out in the DMV. We're going to take a timeout right now. Come back. We've got Joe Gallant coming up in 11 o'clock hour. We're going to go through the NBA. It's exciting games, and some teams got back on track, all that and more, as the Sports King rolls on Friday morning. Hi, this is three-time Super Bowl champion number 71 of the Washington Redskins defensive end Charles Mann, and you're listening to the Sports King Show live on Sports 106.1. Don't go away. He'll be right back. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was, and he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Friday, 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 
It's Friday end of the week. You made it. Sports King here with you through noon. Don't forget, every morning it starts here at Sports 106.1. Big Al, Richmond legend, sports phone, 10 to 12. I'm on. He's on 8 to 10 right before me, live. And, of course, after me, we head out to Los Angeles in Jim Rome. Uh, I saw something, and I told Ben about it during the break. Keetil Martin from Arizona hit a foul ball, and of course they have fans up in the stands and all the major league, uh, all the major major league stadiums, of course, with the the placards, not the real fans, but the placards. And Cattell uh, had this hit uh, that went foul, and they've got a series of teddy bears sitting in the seats, looked like Ted from the movie Ted, and one of them just absolutely drilled the teddy bear right in the face and it was kind of uh, humorous to watch what happened in that arizona oakland game you might want to take a look at that i do want to turn now to our resident expert in terms of all things nascar and motor racing ben maitland is our guy and he has an update on something very important to richmond race fans ben take it away yeah jamie good morning to you uh happy friday morning to you and to everybody else out there listening uh some some sad news to pass along. I, it's certainly sad for me being a race fan here and, and being uh, from Central Virginia and, and having gone to Richmond Raceway numerous times uh, during the course of my life as a race fan. Uh, it was officially announced just a little while ago that Richmond Raceway's NASCAR Fall Race Weekend coming up on September 10th through the 12th will run without fans in attendance due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the statement from the racetrack says, quote, NASCAR and Richmond have worked closely with public health officials, medical experts, and state and federal officials throughout the development of this season's realigned NASCAR schedule. After careful consideration, NASCAR and Richmond determined the track will host its fall races without fans in attendance to ensure the safety of competitors, staff, and the local community. So, again, some unfortunate news there that fans will not be able to attend next month's uh, fall race weekend again that runs <clears throat> excuse me september 10th through the 12th the truck series are supposed to run thursday night the 10th the xfinity cars are supposed to run on september 11th that friday night and then you were to you're set to have a double header on saturday between the xfinity series running in the afternoon and then the cup series running uh saturday night on september 12th it would be the second race for the cup series in the playoff run for those guys so, unfortunately, no fans in attendance, however, at Richmond Raceway next month. Now, Ben, I know you went uh, and you were in the garage. You spent some time there, met some of the Formula One guys. You've met the regular NASCAR guys there, and I know it's important to you as many race fans in the Richmond, Central Virginia area. Uh, will you be allowed, or are you thinking about from a media pass standpoint, will you be able to go and watch uh, from a media aspect, or do you know if you've been shut out of that yet? I'm not sure. Uh, my dad asked the same question, actually, I think a couple of nights ago when we were talking about this and, and the possibility of people being able to attend uh, next month. From the media side of things, I think they've been pretty um, pretty buttoned down as far as who can actually attend. I think they've only been allowing a handful of media into every race weekend. Um, I mean, just like a handful, maybe even single digits at a time as far as people who can actually be on site to cover uh, the event, whether they write for a publication or if they're, uh, you know, radio people or, or something like that. Um, that's aside from the television and, and radio crews who actually cover the races and broadcast them for uh, for for Fox or for NBC or for, for the Motor Racing Network or something like that. So that would be something I'd have to look into. And, of course, I heard you and Big Al mentioning the, of course, Indy 500, the running of, and the fact that uh, you get excited when you talk about 
Marco Andretti and the Andretti name being brought back in here. Your take on uh, the big uh, Indy 500, and who do you think? I know who you feel and hope will win, but who do you think will win the Indy 500? Well, so far this season with, with IndyCar, since they've gotten back going, it's really been the Scott Dixon show for uh, – <laughs> to. You know, for lack of a better word, he's won a handful of times uh, since they got back going back in June. He's only won one career Indy 500. I want to say it was 12 years ago, back in 2008, and still drives for Chip Ganassi. They bring you know great equipment to the racetrack every week. I think he's certainly a name to watch. Of course, Marco Andretti, as you mentioned, rolling off from the pole. First time an Andretti's been on the pole at Indy for uh, over 30 years, ever since his grandfather Mario did it back in the late 80s. It certainly helps to roll off P1 uh, if, if they want the, uh, the Andretti name back in victory lane at Indy. I think it would be a really cool story. Uh, people were sitting outside the racetrack last weekend when they had pole qualifying, and when he went to the top of the sheet, there were people you know, cheering all over the, uh, the outside of the premises there at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway because he had set on the pole. So it would be a cool story if that happened, but I think Dixon's a name to watch. Uh, Simon Pagano won this race a year ago for Penske. Uh, for Roger Penske and, and his team. I think the Penske cars will find a way to get to the front uh, himself. Joseph Newgarden, uh, Helio Castroneves has won this race three times. He would be looking to uh, to join the four-win uh, four club in the Indy 500 if Helio could pull that off on, on Sunday. so But Marco would be the cool story. He'd be the feel-good story. I feel like, though, Scott Dixon's going to be the, the guy to watch if um, as far as being up front and, and being someone to uh, contend with on Sunday afternoon. Ben, getting back to the NASCAR and the lack of racing in Richmond, uh, can you speak to the economic factors? I mean, we're going to miss this out on the hotel front, on the small businesses. I mean, I'm really crushed for them because all the restaurants and the tourism aspect, you've been a big part of the tourism sites and so forth, having worked there and done things on the tourism side. Can you speak a minute about your feelings on the impact of how this affects all of Central Virginia? Because when they come in, they come in in droves and come in from all other states. Now the hotels are suffering, the restaurants are suffering. I mean, this is something that is not just at the track. It, it, it extenuates uh, and extends rather uh, throughout the entire surrounding area around the track. Certainly, yeah. You just laid it out pretty well there yourself, Jamie, for for any kind of impact that it, that it has, it will have in the central Virginia area, in the Richmond area, in Rico County. Um, I believe it's officially where the racetrack is located at there off of Laburnum. Um, it will certainly impact it. It, it. it stinks from that standpoint because you will not have that revenue coming in, like you said, from people who don't come, who not only come in from this area um, quite heavily as far as attending the race weekend or weekends, but also people who come from places like Maryland or the, the Carolinas, uh, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Delaware. I mean, you name it, you, you'll, you'll run into a license plate there in the parking lot out at the racetrack when they have races here in town. So it's, um, it's unfortunate, certainly, from that standpoint. I know Dennis Bickmeyer, who we had on the show this morning with Big Al, uh, making picks for, the, for this weekend's race up at Dover, uh, he would echo that too. And, and that would be the first thing he would tell you, is he feels for not only his people there at the racetrack not being able to have fans in attendance, but also for your hotels, uh, the local community, people who are impacted on this level as far as the, uh, the financial impact, like you just said. 
Right. And, you know, you had groups like the Flying Squirrels and all the yep, area. I've seen them. the yeah. top, yeah, the top golfs and all the different little places people go and congregate have all been affected. And I've heard from so many people in minor league baseball taking such a tremendous hit. Of course, now NASCAR in our local area. And I know it stinks. Uh, when yep. you say you're sad, I know you really are because it's, it's not just the actual event it's the people that make the event and the surrounding businesses that make the event and it makes me happy when you hear hey our our business is sold out we've got no rooms left and we've got uh, food uh people lined up around the block wanting to get our products and uh, buying our shirts and merchandise and to see everybody uh so effective man this is why i'm saying this is so harsh in so many ways beyond just the pandemic itself. It's the all of the trickle-down things that really bother me, and I'm certainly hopeful, and I know you are as well, that we can get back to racing soon. And, I'll, I'll oh, be back out in 2021, God willing. You know, if, if There we, you go, if 2021. We can, if we can get um, hopefully everything behind us and, and, and come up with some way to really combat COVID to where we can start to get you know, back out in public again like we – you know, any, any somewhat semblance of normalcy. Um, I know everybody is is craving that right now. I know I am. I know you are. I know Al is. Anybody else who is in the building here um, at our company, we all want it. I know everybody that I know, family wise, friend wise, want it too. So um, when the calendar hits December thirty first, I will not shed a tear. I'll put it that way. No, and I don't think a lot of say other Happy will New Year. You will mean it will more mean it than I time. think. Yeah. I think we'll all mean it more than we've ever meant it before. And uh, we thank Ben for his update on the NASCAR and, of course, uh, Formula One racing. Of course, he'll keep you up to date on any breaking news. Thank you, Ben. Yep. And IndyCar as well. Yep. Uh, we want to get to the NBA quickly before we head to our next break. We've got some scores, of course, to go over from yesterday. The Heat defeated the Pacers 109 to 100. And this game, of course, was. Uh, Something we, you know, I thought to be more balanced in this. I thought they might go one to one, but it's the Miami Heat out two to nothing. Mike Neville said yesterday, really excited about Eric Spolster, the coach, and he thinks he's underrated. Well, they win 109 100, and their star player, who I talked about yesterday, Jimmy Butler, boy, he's played well, and he is their leader. And afterwards, he talked about his play in the postseason. I think this is when I play at my best, to tell you the truth. Um, and I'm just willing to do whatever it takes to win. And right now it's making a couple shots. In the next game, it could be um, making a couple great passes without turning the ball over like I was doing tonight. You know, Jimmy Butler plays great defense, great offense. He's a distributor. He can get to the basket, shoot the three. The guy has very few weaknesses, if any, in his game, and he led this team yesterday, the Heat, to a 109-100 win over the Pacers. Elsewhere was the Thunder and the Rockets. They tangled up, and it's the Rockets extending their lead in their series in the West. Two games to nothing with the 111-98 victory in this game. Uh, not a real high-scoring affair for James Harden, only 21 points. And most people would say, man, it's a great day, but for him it's just very pedestrian. But they win 111-98. to 98. Uh, Of course, here is one of the key plays, James Harden getting to the basket and the foul. Harden drives on Schroeder. The strength of Harden counted and the foul. Chance for a three-point play for Harden. And the Rockets back within one. See, there you go. Whenever you need a basket, you get it to James Harden. He's going to find a way to get it done. And, uh, of course, they'll have Russell Westbrook as soon as possible. They And a guy that can come in there and really ignite things. But if they're winning and they're up 2 nothing. You know, they've done it without some missing pieces, but wait till everything comes together. And they're playing small ball. It's working out really well for them as the Rockets go up 2 
to love on the Thunder. Elsewhere, as predicted yesterday, my team, the number one seed who I felt will win this all, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they turn it around, even their series with the Magic of Orlando, 111-96 in this one. And i tell you what, Giannis is a guy that has to stir the drink, came back with a strong game, 28 points, 20 rebounds, five assists for the Greek freak. Afterwards, he praised the effort in this victory. Led was able to set the tone, then G. Hill, then Wes, then Brooke, then me, then Chris, everybody, the whole team was playing hard. And, um, you know, when we play hard defensively, you know, we're, we're hard to, uh, you know, get beat. So um, he did an amazing job. Amazing job indeed in this one. And, of course, uh, Orlando, who surprised Milwaukee, basically went out and punched the champ in the face, and the champ responded with a win, evening it at one apiece. In this game, Brooke Lopez showed up with 20 points. Eric Bledsoe, 13. Off the bench, Connaughton had 15. DiVincenzo had 11. So great balance scoring for the Bucks. They needed it. Of course, their overall record, 56-17, and an amazing 30-5 and at home. So the Bucks definitely need to continue doing what they're doing if they have any chance to win at all. They've got to not have those clinkers. They can't go through and have bad games uh, repeatedly because they'll get bounced out in this series, much like uh, a team in Washington on the hockey side. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But the last game of the night, the Lake Show, down one game to nothing, needed something special to come back with. And boy, did they, winning over the Trailblazers 111-88. to In this game, of course, Damian Lillard, 18 points. Anthony Davis, 31 points, 11 rebounds. He was absolutely dynamic in every way, shape, and form, leading this Lakers team to the big win. In this game, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see this, but during the game, Damian Lillard, and this was concerning to me, uh, watching the overall uh, performance, uh, Lillard suffered uh, a dislocated left index finger. It looked nasty. They uh, took x-rays on his finger. Fortunately, it was negative. The team announced Lillard, who scored 18 points on 6 of 14 shooting in 30 minutes, did not return to the game. I'm not saying had he played, it would have been a Blazer victory, but it definitely wouldn't have helped them tremendously. Uh, Blazers coach Terry Stott said after the game, it's too early to know Lillard's status for Saturday's Game 3, but he'll be there. Trust me on this. The kid's a gamer. When Lillard was asked about playing for Game 3, he responded, I'm playing. So there you go. Lillard appeared to injure his hand while reaching on defense on a drive by Anthony Davis. Lillard was shaking his hand and appeared frustrated, and he threw a ball against the wall on the way out the door. He said it's just a little sore, a little bit tender to the touch. He said he had never dislocated a finger before. I can't believe that, but that's very uh, very hard not to do playing basketball. And when you get a bad pass or something, he said he wasn't sure how it happened, and he felt it right away. He said he didn't want to look at the finger, but he did. He said he tried to pull it back into place. The staff had to put it back for me, and at that point I thought it was broken. Lillard said I was frustrated because I had to go back and get it looked at. I was just very frustrated. It was a bad timing. I handled the ball a lot, so just knowing there's got to be some discomfort along the way, I don't know what's going on and how it's going to feel going forward. It's frustrating. That's all it was. So Portland is now tied 1-1 with the Lakers. It was Lillard who scored 34 points in the opener in game one. And, of course, uh, he asked about the Blazers' bad game. And Lillard said afterward, I wouldn't say that. I don't think we were ready for a bad game. It just we didn't play well in this one. So the Lakers get back on track with Anthony Davis, and that's the situation there, all tied at one apiece. Don't forget, coming up here in the 11 o'clock hour, it's Joe Gallant, former coach, 
uh, with the New York football giants and also the president currently of an American youth football. All that and more as the Sports King rolls on Friday morning. Hi, this is Philadelphia Eagles all-pro running back Brian Westbrook, and you're listening to the Sports King Show on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year, everyone's looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one. The Honda Summer Clearance Event. Get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. Can't get out? We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. Just visit cmacars.com and do the entire buying process online. CMA's Colonial Honda. Moving lives forward. On select models with approved credit through 831 Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. You're listening to the man who thinks that Velcro is nothing more than a ripoff. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Friday morning on the Sports King Show, Facebook Live, Sports 1061. We thank you for joining us. Coming up in about 10 minutes, it'll be Joe Gallat, the former coach, position coach for the New York Football Giants. We'll talk about that. His time in Canada. He's a legend in Canada and also the president of the American Youth Football Association. We'll talk to him about that. And he's got a brand new book out. We'll talk about all of that with Joe Gallat coming up in the 11 o'clock hour in Montreal. Of course, he's in Montreal enjoying himself there. And we'll catch up with Joe here at the top of the hour. want to let you know that uh, Fox Sports, uh, this is a follow-up to yesterday's story. They say Tom Brenneman will not be a part of its NFL broadcasting team this season after he used an anti-gay slur on the air on Wednesday during the Cincinnati Reds broadcast. Fox went on to say, we are extremely disappointed with Tom Brenneman's remarks during Wednesday's Reds broadcast. They said in a statement, the language used was abhorrent, unacceptable, and not representative of the values of Fox Sports. Brenneman had been part of Fox NFL announcer lineup since it started televising the league in 1994. He was part of the number three announcer team last season, was paired with analyst Chris Spielman and reporter Shannon Spake. He called Major League Baseball games for the network from 1996 to 2014. On Wednesday, he used a slur moments after the Fox Sports Ohio feed returned from a commercial break uh, before the top of the seventh inning in the first game of a doubleheader at Kansas City. He has been suspended from working Reds games with the team apologizing for the horrific homophobic remark. Along with the apology, Brenneman said on the air Wednesday he wrote an apology to the Cincinnati Inquirer on Thursday saying that what he said is something no one should ever say, something that no one should ever think, something no one should ever feel something no one should ever hear. He said, I used a word that is both offensive and insulting. In the past 24 hours, I have read about its history. I had no idea it was rooted in hate and violence, and in particularly shame that I, someone who makes a living off of the use of words, could be so careless and insensitive, Brenneman wrote. It's a word that shouldn't have no place in my vocabulary, and I will certainly never utter it again. He added that he plans to take part in diversity, equity, and inclusion training. 
So the fallout has been very swift. And, of course, Fox Ohio Sports said in a statement that it agreed with the suspension, adding that Brenneman, uh, his remark was hateful, offensive, and no way reflects the values of the work. Brenneman, who had been part of the Reds announcing team since 2007, opened the fifth inning with an apology, spoken directly to the camera before handing off his play-by-play duties. And after you know, pausing, he basically said, I don't know if I'm ever going to be putting a headset on again. And he apologized to the Reds, Fox Network, and his co-workers. The son of Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman, Tom, 56, has called Major League Games for 33 years and has been part of Fox with uh, in terms of the last 27, covering primarily baseball and football. I can begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am and never has been. I like to think maybe I could have some people uh, help some people who I can uh, work with in the future. I'm very, very sorry. I beg your forgiveness. So uh, on Thursday, Glad called Brenneman's apology incredibly weak and not enough, adding that it's demanding full accountability from the Reds, MLB, and Fox Sports. My take on this was it was said kind of flippantly. It was said kind of matter-of-factly. It wasn't something that uh, it felt like he had done before to me, uh, just looking at it face value. Um, of course, he's definitely sorry now after the horse is out of the barn, but bottom line is this. This guy knows better, and I can't believe a guy that has been in this business for as long as he has, and I'm a fan of what he's done from his work aspect, But when I heard this, I was definitely shocked because basically him saying in the statement, the one thing took me back was when he said, you know, I had no idea the word was rooted in hate and violence. Uh, That that one kind of fell flat for me because it's a hate-filled word against a group of people that uh, don't want to hear that word. And basically for him to utter it the way he did, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stupefied is the word, I guess, for me is knowing uh, the business we're in and uh, it's a privilege to wear a headset and work for any station in America to be able to talk to people like you out there listening now. And, uh, you know, my personal views, anybody's personal views, anybody's hate-filled speeches, anything, there's no space for any of that in, in anything we do in terms of broadcasting. And if you have negative personal feelings, those are things you better keep them very internal if you're that type of person, because if it comes out and you utter it, I don't care if you're on air, off air, anywhere out somewhere having dinner and you get loud and drink and say something you shouldn't say, uh, you know, it's going to ruin your career or ruin your life in many ways. Look at Jimmy the Greek. What he said was devastating. He was out at a function and basically somebody put a mic in his face. He'd been drinking heavily and he uttered some things. The next thing you know, he's gone and never to be heard from again. Basically Tom Brenneman, I don't expect to ever be behind a microphone again. And the reason is not my feelings. It's just the fact that right now, especially in 2020, with the way things are and the way we're trying to include people and make people feel comfortable and have a coming together of sorts, if you will, across this world, this type of thing right here is a death knell to a career. And I just don't see how any way he can make it back from this. And like they say, you know, an apology, just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. You know, that's not really going to work in this situation. I did want to turn our attention to a news and notes aspect in terms of the NFL, something I read that I wanted to pass along to you. And that is in regards to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they have banned headdresses, face paintings, and the arrowhead chop. 
Okay. How do you feel about this? 804-327-0888. You for it? You against it? I remember being in Atlanta and being far away, and I've been down to Tallahassee. When you get within shouting distance of the stadium, I mean, quarter mile, half mile, you'll hear and you'll feel the thunder of the dun, 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 and you know you're getting close to Atlanta Stadium or Tallahassee because you hear that, and it's part of the excitement of college football. Now the Chiefs have basically said, and once again, getting on my soapbox for a second, Washington Redskins bad, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, hey, that's okay. But we're going to ban the headdresses in the stadium. We're going to ban the face paint in the stadium. And we're reviewing whether to ban the arrowhead chop. So here's my question for you. If you're a fan of the Chiefs, let's say you have 75,000 people in the stands and you score a touchdown, you get a first down, you start moving your hand forward in a chopping motion, are they going to have chop police? Somebody's going to come and grab you and escort you from the stadium, basically banning chopping from the stadium, whether you're an Atlanta Braves fan, whether you're a Florida State fan, whether you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And I just am still shocked. I mean, you look at these names, and I'm not saying anything against an Atlanta Braves name. I'm not saying anything against a Chiefs name. All I'm saying is in the context of everything, of what's offensive and what's not offensive, uh, you know, I'm just saying, is there a level playing field here? Or is it just basically, hey, because that team in Washington has uh, got other issues too, let's pile on and let's go after them in so many ways. And don't get me wrong, they're an easy target because of the things that happened in that building. We know that. But there's other issues out there. But so the Chiefs have banned the Native American headdress face paint and are reviewing the chops. So who knows if they'll have that for the world champions and who knows if their name is still under review or not. We don't know. We haven't heard anything. And, of course, uh, one of the comments from Kansas City was, we are grateful for the meaningful conversations we've had with all these American Indian leaders. It's important that we continue the dialogue on these significant topics. We look forward to continuing to work together in the future. The Chiefs said this week that they plan to have fans at their home games at least early in the season. They said they would cap attendance for those games at 22% of Arrowhead's capacity, which they listed at 72,936. That would mean about 16,000 fans would attend early season games, including the NFL's season 10 opener, Chiefs at the Houston, Texas. And it, it's good. I would like to see at least 20% capacity in stadiums. At least some people should be able to watch football games. Just my take, and that's my feelings on it. I don't think there should be no fans in the stands. There can be some fans in the stands safely somehow some way we can figure this out at least 20 percent capacity for maybe this year until we figure this thing out so that's the situation there with the chiefs going to take a time out right now come back in the 11 o'clock hour our good friend joe gallant montreal canada canada is where we're going to head and uh, he's going to talk about the giants his new book in the american youth football association as the sports king rolls on friday morning This is Bob Dandridge from the world champion Washington Bullet, and you are listening to Sports King Show with Jamie King on Sports 1061. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies' volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies' lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. 
Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year especially, everyone is looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one, the Honda Summer Clearance Event. Right now, get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on remaining new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. And if you can't or don't want to come to our dealership, no problem. We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. Just visit cmacars.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and tell us where you want your car delivered. Do as much or as little of the buying process as you want. It's entirely up to you. If you'd like to do it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we'll walk you through it. If you have any questions, we're always here to help. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. On select models with approved credit through 831-2020. The Sports King Studio Line is now open. If you got a sports question, thoughts on your mind about your favorite team, we'd love to hear from you at 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back Friday morning on the Sports King Show. We want to thank our sponsors for which we can do the program without. We want to thank the Nerve Company, Never Underestimate Radical Vision. You can reach CEO Andrew Fisher and his outstanding team in Denver, Colorado. Good morning again, Denver. And go to www.thinkoutsidethewebsite.com. They do graphics, website design, marketing plans. They do it all, and they do it at www.thinkoutsidethewebsite.com. How about our friends at CMA Colonial Honda? They continue to keep lives moving forward. Go out and see for yourself new cars, used cars, an amazing selection which can be delivered directly to your door if you'd like them to. President General Manager Tim Cosgrove has the best car selling team in the country. They can and will make it happen for you every time at CMA's Colonial Honda. And my great friend, Dr. Paul Ross, if you have a foot problem of any kind, call Dr. Ross. His staff will get you on the road to recovery quickly with offices in Springfield, Virginia and Bethesda, Maryland. Join the over 240,000 people, uh, which I'm one, that have been seen by the best in the business. That is Dr. Paul Ross in the podiatry center. The Sports King Show features the Ross Rules of Foot Care heard here weekly to help those in need of foot care advice and assistance. And don't look now. It's a return of the Joe Moglia Report brought to you exclusively by Coastal Carolina University. Listen to the current chairman of TD Ameritrade who offers insight on life, finance, and uh, all kinds of news in terms of the sports world everywhere else. It's heard here work uh, weekly uh, directly on the Sports King Show. It's a return of the Joe Moglia Report. And now we turn to our special guest, another Joe a special Joe, a longtime friend of mine, a guy that has so much respect for and have enjoyed spending time with. When I'm down in Florida, last time I was with him, we rode around in the golf cart, and I probably, I don't know if I've laughed as hard with the stories that he tells, and this guy is a walking encyclopedia of football, and we welcome to the Sports King Show, Mr. Joe Golod. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jamie. My, my pleasure being here. Well, you're in Montreal now. Tell us uh, what's the weather like. How are you doing amidst all this craziness? Uh, how's it going for you and your family? Well, the weather is fine. It's beautiful. Um, as you know, the mountains of the Laurentians uh, north of Montreal is uh, my location at this point. Uh, we 
we were in Miami Beach, and it was hot and humid, and uh, it was, uh, how should we say, uh, viral. There was a lot of viruses running around, so I think we're doing a lot better here. Absolutely. Hey, Joe, we want to go back, of course, with you, a former college professional coach. You started at Miami University in Ohio as a player. Uh, you had a long, extensive college coaching career. You've coached in the National Football League. So let's go back to Miami. Talk about your time in Miami University. What did it meant to you in terms of your development, in terms of playing, and also learning about the coaching aspect? I was not the biggest guy in the world, and um, what uh, the Mid-American Conference usually uh, does is they look for that um, second-level player, you know, the guy that isn't six foot five and uh, 300 pounds. That's, um, that, I fit under that, a little bit under that. So um, uh, I was being recruited mostly Mid-American Conference schools, and Miami of Ohio at that time, um, there was two guys um, that did the – college football today every Saturday. One of them was Era Parsegan, and the the other one was Paul Dietzel. Um, that's way back, but um, Era Parsegan, of course, a legendary coach who um, was national champions uh, at, the, at Notre Dame and actually was succeeded by a guy named Dan um, uh, who was uh, Rudy's coach. In other words, Era was Dan Devine. Right, yeah. right there and won the national championship before Rudy. Uh, came, I guess Rudy was probably the team manager or something at that time. And then Paul Dietzel was the coach. Back in those days, LSU was a dominant power like they are now. So um, those two coaches, both Miami graduates, and um, every every year I would hear them talk about it, and it ended up uh, being, rec- I ended up being recruited by a guy named Carm Koza, who I later spent a lot of time with at Yale University. He's a winningest coach in the Ivy League. So uh, it was easy to choose a college, even though it was 300 miles away from my hometown. Uh, my parents weren't very happy, but uh, after after everything um, evolved and um, maybe 10 years later, um, I was lucky enough to be inducted into Miami's Hall of Fame by Era Parsegan, my dad's hero. So it, it all came it all came back to to work very well for all of us. It's funny you say that because uh, Mark Mosley, uh, a great friend of mine, played for the Redskins, MVP of 1982. Uh, we talked about his opportunity of maybe making the Hall of Fame one day, and he said the saddest part is his father and his coach had since passed. He said that was probably one of the things that I wanted the most to have those two men that I had so much respect to see that. For your dad to see that with Eric Parsegian must have been such a special moment for you. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. And uh, the the practices every day, you know, we it was uh, like hot and nasty and you didn't really want to dress to go out to practice. And, and you'd go out to practice and somebody would say, hey, who are those two old timers over there? And it would be somebody uh, talking uh, to maybe our coach or, or our coach was John Pont, who um, later became coach of the year at Indiana University. But uh, they would uh, say, who are those two guys? over there and say, oh, that's Paul Brown and Wee Bubank. And then wow. who's the guy talking to them? They say, oh, that's Smokey Alston, the Dodgers manager. So they used to come in and watch practice and um, talk about motivation. You got those kind of people on the sidelines. You really practiced um, intensely and hard. 
We're going to talk about uh, your book. You've written so many books, and we'll talk about the latest one here in a little bit. But I want to say this. I, I think the stories you've told me, and I laugh hysterically, if you went back and just wrote one about your experiences of all of your football, uh, your, your acquaintances, the people you've met, the people who have influenced you, I think that's a book in itself that you should think seriously about. But I was going to talk to that uh, point about the fact that you came up as far as a coach learning from Guys like Bo Schembechler, Carmen Coza, as you said, John McVeigh. Can you talk about Bo Schembechler, what he meant to you, what type of influence he had on you in terms of a coach and as a player? Well, when um, when I coached with Bo, he was um, just fresh out of Ohio State. Um, he was the um, line coach at Ohio State under Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes had previously coached at Miami of Ohio, and um, Bo really personified Woody. He was he was more Woody than Woody was. Um, and what what was interesting was that he would you know maybe two two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> We would still be in meetings. Uh, he worked so hard and he was so focused and so intent on, on, you know, moving up in the coaching ladder. But, um, late, late at night, he'd get a little bit melancholy and start talking about his days with Woody. And uh, I swear he had tears in his eyes talking about how that worked. But then it became, when he went to Michigan, it became like the biggest, hottest rivalry between two people ever on the planet. Uh, here's Woody Hayes, three yards in a cloud of dust. Bo Schembecker, three yards in a cloud of dust. Both of them, uh, you know, really pushed the running game. And I think if truth be, be known, I think Bo ended up being more oriented um, to, to the running game than Woody. Can I ask you this? Because uh, many people don't know that, that, of course, Bo played uh, or tutored under uh, uh, Woody in terms of learning from him and so forth. And the two questions I have for you, do you think the the hatred and the anger between Ohio State and Michigan was derived from the fact that they were together at one point? And do you feel, the second question would be, do you think they are more alike than people would let on due to the fact oh, that they, sure. and the they had so that much I in common? And remembered about Woody uh, was that if he got his feet under, you know, your dining room table and talked to the mother, that kid would be, in, he would end up at Ohio State. And <laughs> the thing I remembered about Bo, same kind of recruiting, the same concept. If your boy comes to Michigan, he will graduate. And that was their emphasis. That was the thing that both of them recruited on. But there there was a, sort of a blow uh, uh, what would you call it? they they would um exaggerate the the dislike and it was it was not a dislike it was a, they idolized each other i remember talking to woody one time um Woody was a big wrestling fan, and he used to come and watch us practice our wrestling at Miami, and, and we would have a conversation, and he'd say, you know, Bo, Bo runs the ball more than I do. That was his, that was his, um, favorite, uh, his favorite expression. He runs the ball more than I do. So what um, Bo would try to uh, emulate Woody in almost every way, but there was a deep, deep respect and a deep love for each other. Now, the alumni, that's a different story. Uh, you know, they tell stories about uh, the 
the way the alumni treat the visiting team and uh, that they would try to block the bus from coming into the big house. You know, when the team's driving in by, by bus from the hotel, they'd try to block the bus. They'd bang on the windows and they would, you know, give the one-fingered salute and all of that. However, at Ohio State, they were greeted about the same way. The Michigan players coming into the horseshoe, that was a little bit tougher, too, because uh, they had to go through a lot of uh, student housing. And you wouldn't believe some of the messages written on the um, on the dormitory uh, windows. <laughs> so, so the two, I would say this, the two coaches loved and respected each other, but I think the alumni... To this day, um, you know, that's the game. If um, there's ever a lull in practice, they would say, Woody would say, okay, wait a minute. You guys aren't interested. You don't want to play. You don't want to get uh, interested in the Indiana game. Okay, we're going to run some Michigan plays at you <laughs> wow. during, the, during the midseason. And that would, that would get everybody fired up. So well, both of them aimed for that last game of the year. And uh, it really is one of the oldest rivalries. Well, I know that, uh, and I've heard the stories of, you know, on the board where they'll have the list of the teams they play. One of them will have that team up north. They won't even say the name. There's such a hatred between the two. But as you said, a respect. And the thing about it is those were two great coaches. They're so like-minded in so many ways, even though they had separate agendas. They were definitely on the same page. And I know they had a great respect. And many people didn't think so, but I definitely agree with you on that. Can I Can I ask you about your time as a coach with the New York football giants and the Houston Oilers. Can you talk about when you made it to the NFL, what that was like in your experience, especially in New York, which is a definite uh, tough place to coach. I was really fortunate uh, throughout my career. I've, I've always had the great players, um, uh, you know, sort of lucky to, to just land in those positions where I had, uh, as an example, New York, we had two of the linebackers were all pro two of my three linebackers. Um, and, we used to call, well, it was Brad Van Pelt, Harry Carson, and then we called uh, Brian Kelly the other linebacker. <laughs> and, and, and Brian was a great player as well. And uh, what, what, I, what I'm left with is uh, in football, it's great to have great players, but it's really great to have a great quarterback. And uh, we were always a little bit lacking. We always had good defense. We always had good um, good running backs. But I, I, I really didn't have the pleasure of coaching one of the great ones, like like a Brady, uh, like a Montana. Um, the, boy, that would have been fun. Uh, we we instead had to do a lot of lot of what they call root hogging. We had to play we had to play a lot of tough defense. And New York always has been known for their good defense. And I had Harry Carson the first year that he made All Pro. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but he was a down lineman uh, at. Um, in, in college, he was a down lineman, and then Brad Van Pelt was a defensive back at Michigan State. So uh, here we are, three all-pro linebackers, or two all-pro linebackers. Neither one of them had played that position uh, until they got to the pros. And then Brian Kelly was our cerebral guy. I mean, he was the guy that could make a lot of adjustments, played on the weak side, but he he would tell everybody what to do and when the formations would come out. So uh, I was very fortunate to have the great players there. Um, Houston, uh, Houston Oilers, same thing. Uh, we we had a guy named Alvin Bethay, who was all pro maybe four or five years. And Alvin, uh, he came to me the first, I think about the first week I was there, and he said, you know, I've heard that you're really tough on 
on drills. You know, you you really work the guys on drill. He said, I'm all pro. I don't know if I can hold up under that kind of, you know, that kind of pressure. I said, well, Elvin, here's the deal. All you have to do is be first in line for all of the drills, and then I'll make that drill a little shorter, and then you you can rest. So <laughs> he believed me. Yeah, <laughs> he believed well, me. So he actually would jump in front of the line, and I, and it was 110 degrees in in uh, Texas. Um, we always uh, trained outside of Houston. They said the humidity is not as high in uh, the hill country you know what 110 degrees is 110 degrees everywhere you are it didn't matter about humidity so anyway i would get alvin and i'd work him just as hard as i could i mean i would give him a long hard drill and um and he would look at me like if this is the short if this is the short drill who what are the other guys doing but um (laughs) that was that was probably his best year. He uh, ended up being in the second game of the year. He ended up being uh, NFL Player of the Week, and uh, he had he had three sacks, blocked a kick, and uh, made a, an abundance of tackles. And after the game, he wanted a hug, and I refused him. I said, "No, there's no way." <laughs> after the way you complained all during training camp, no, I think you're going to have to earn your way. Anyway, when he made All-Pro and and made um, the Hall of Fame, um, this was years later. I saw him at a at a players' dinner, NFL players' uh, dinner prior to the Super Bowl, and uh, he came over, tapped me on the shoulder. He says, "Can my wife and I sit sit here?" And I looked up, and there he was. I said. Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe. And he saw, oh, come on. And he said, look, he said, he showed me his ring. This, this, uh, Hall of Fame ring is, he said, I, that's part of you. I said, well, I wish you'd have told me that at training camp because you never, you never appreciated me then. <laughs> so he sits down and he tells me the story. He said, you know, when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I was the last guy they, they chose. I was last on the docket and I was a little wondering why, you know, I've been, you know, I've been a great player and some of these guys, uh, they didn't show me much respect by putting me on last. So lo and behold, as he got up to get his um, gold jacket and his ring out of the other side of the stage comes his son in his flight uniform, he was one of the F-15 pilots who did the flyover prior to the game. Wow. And, and as he's telling me the story, he's got tears in his eyes. And uh, I, I have to admit, I had some tears in my eyes, too. What a story. Uh, there he is, you know, wondering why he's last. His son had to get from the airport. You know, the F-16s don't land on a small airport. So he right. had to get, uh, they had to land in Cleveland and then drive to Canton. And uh, his son made it in time for him to be inducted. Oh, what a special story. Joe Galat, our special guest this morning on the Sports King Show. Of course, he was a coach with the Giants, the Oilers. He is the current president of the American Youth Football Association. And, folks, he's learned from the best, and he has such great advice. We're going to talk about his books coming up. Also inducted to the Miami Red Hawks Hall of Fame. A great player, a great coach. He's done it all. Before we go to break, just one question for you. 
with the New York football giants, they've got Joe Judge there now, and they're saying that he's being harsh. He's making guys uh, do push-ups and do extra drills, and they don't say it's going over very well in terms of his old-school approach, in terms of holding guys accountable, doing extra work, and they're saying that some of these guys may kind of revolt against this. What's your take on the old-school, new-school aspect? Do you think the old-school type things that you did will play today? you think uh, there's a spot for that as far as I see? It's accountability more than anything. What's your take? Well, obviously, uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I think that was uh, Vince Lombardi's quote. And if you um, if you think that um, you've been reading your press clippings too often, and you think that you can't improve, there there are two kinds of players. There are the kind of players who have natural ability. They're, they can go out and everything comes easy to them. They make the worst coaches. Then they're the other kind of players who work and, you know, they just keep digging and keep chopping and they keep working until they get it right. Uh, those are the kind of guys that go into coaching and, and normally they don't relate very well to the player who has that natural ability. And I'm not saying every player with natural ability doesn't work hard because when you get that player, you know, that's the special guy. That's the, that's the kind of players that uh, excel and you know, every sport has them. You know, the, the Michael Jordans and the, the Wayne Gretzky and all of the, the great football players that had that natural ability that came to them, but they also had the fire in their, in their belly. When you got that heart and you got the ability, you know, that's when you have the all pros. That's when you have the great ones. But um, what a lot of players don't relate to is what it takes to get it done. And uh, most of them have that natural ability and they can get, you know, to that, what, 70% level. But then if a coach gets that natural ability and he pushes and pushes that player, that player can get up into the 90% efficiency range. You know, and that's when you have the great ones. But some of them do revolt. I think uh, it'll never change. I don't think uh, old school, new school uh, that makes much of a difference. Uh, what does make the difference, you know, they say your altitude is determined by your attitude. And that's always going to be the bottom line. You know, you see the great ones out there. I, I can, uh, I remember a story about Joe Montana, uh, when they were playing, um, in the, in one of the first Super Bowls, the 49ers. You know, the 49ers were like 1 in 15 before Montana got there. And, um, they said Montana didn't want to go into the locker room, uh, before the game. He was dressed and he waited outside. And, and as the coaches came out, they go, what are you doing out here? He said, man, I can't go in there. Those guys make me nervous. So that's the kind, that's the kind of attitude that, that you need. You know, you, you, you don't want to get in, but you got to be focused by, to yourself, by yourself, and what you can achieve. Awesome. Never, never old school is, I guess, yeah. my point. Gotcha. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back with the great Joe Gallat. Of course, former coach in the NFL. We're going to talk about his CFL times in the Canadian Football League. Did great things there. We'll talk about that. He's got a brand new book out. Much, much more with Joe Gallant, the president of American Youth Football, as the Sports King rolls on Friday morning. Hi, this is Dr. Matthew Rauch. I played Burton on the hit series Banshee on Cinemax. 
You are listening to my friend, Jamie King, the sports king, who told me I'm welcome on his show anytime, as long as I keep my glasses on. Hi, sports fans. It's the sports king for the podiatry center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to the guy that was once addicted to brake fluid. But please don't worry, he says he can stop at any time. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. And welcome back Friday morning. Hope you've had a great week. And we're closing it out with a great one. Joe Gallat, our great friend, Montreal, Canada, living the life. Got out of Miami, now in Canada. You can learn more about Joe on the page, AmericanYouthFootball.com. He's a president there. Always has great messages for kids. We'll get to that shortly. But they do cheer events. His wife, his whole family's involved. They do an amazing job for the community and for kids throughout the entire nation, entire world. They get kids coming from everywhere. We'll talk about that shortly. But I want to get back talking about his career and all the things that he's done in terms of football. Of course, he was uh, an assistant coach at Yale University, Miami University, University of Kentucky. Went on to the NFL, to the Houston Oilers, New York Giants. And, of course, was hired as a general manager of the Montreal Concords in the Canadian Football League. Can you speak to your time in Canada? Of course, vastly different, bigger field and so forth than the NFL. And what you did there, you had a staff that you compiled that won the equivalent of six Super Bowls. And it's the six great cup championships. You have to take so much pride in the fact that uh, all the wins you had in Canada and the excitement you built in Canada, of course, it's known for hockey, but you really put them on the map in terms of a lot of excitement on the football side. Well, I think uh, one of the most uh, most treasured um, things that I have is we started uh, doing um, what we would call our caravan promotions across Quebec. You know, Quebec is hockey country. I mean, um, they have supplied the NHL with more hockey players than anybody ever will or thought of. And uh, what we did is we went on a campaign. We took our some of our key players and we roamed uh, the countryside um, and talked to them about football. And I can say now that football has really taken a foothold. I hired the first uh, French-Canadian quarterback, uh, French-Canadian coach in uh, Jacques Dussault, um, who actually ended up uh, coaching um, in Montreal. He he coached the, um, forgot what the Montreal machine, I think it was, in the the old USFL. And uh, Jacques went on to coach at the University of Montreal and, and really helped promote football in a hockey 
province. Um, one of the things that I think helped was the um, the Olympic Stadium at that time was was new. It was uh, one of the one of the premier sports facilities. And what we what our owner thought uh, as when I was an assistant there, our owner said we got to get um, somebody in here that's going to fill the stands. And he t- he was captivated by the name Cousineau. Uh, so he saw this guy Tom Cousineau, Ohio State All American. Um, number one draft pick of the Buffalo Bills. And he said, we're going to sign him because his roots are in Quebec. He's a French-Canadian roots. So so they brought uh, Tom Kuzno in, and he was, um, he was a, a real athlete. I mean, this guy could cover um, downfield. He could cover wide receivers downfield. Um, he could blitz. And, you know, get to the quarterback like he was a defensive lineman and just an all-around great player. Obviously, if you're picked number one in the NFL, uh, you know, they've done all the testing, the jump reach, the 40-yard dash, and uh, percent of body fat and all of those things. Uh, but Tom was, was quite an athlete. And I'll remember to this day, he came into the... It was during the season. We actually didn't get him at the beginning of the season. We got him uh, after maybe four or five games, and he he came in uh, to the coach's uh, meeting room, and he and he's dressed in a white leisure suit, uh, looking really good, tanned and everything. And and I said, Tom, the first thing you have to know is that the CFL is uh, it's a quick game. It's a fast game. It's uh, you know 20 seconds between plays, and it doesn't give you a lot of time, and there's only three downs. So if you're on the kicking teams and then you're on defense, I mean, sometimes you don't get to sit down. And he said, Coach, don't worry about me. He said, I've been working out all summer. I'm ready to go. So I remember the first game, um, we had a little bit of problem with offense, and Tom was on the kickoff team, and he went down. We held him. Um, He was on the punt return team, and he went to sit down. Just then, uh, the second play was an incomplete pass. So third team, third down, I mean, he had to go out as a punt, and he's on the punt team. So that happened, and he ran back out there. Now, he's gone probably five minutes without ever – you know, that are stopping, running on and off a 65-yard wow. wide field. The field is much bigger in, in Canadian football. Um, almost uh, to the end of the first quarter, we hadn't made a first down, and uh, no sooner did Tom come off the field, he had to go back on after two plays because we didn't make a first down. And I remember over over on the sidelines, they put some oxygen on him. <laughs> and, and he's breathing hard. And he looked at me and said, Coach, do we ever score on offense? <laughs> so he uh, he quickly learned that the CFL is a fast-paced game, but uh, was an amazing player. Uh, we had some other players on that team that that were of uh, uh, were famous. We had uh, Fred Bolitnikoff, who had come up here after his Oakland career, after being most valuable player in the Super Bowl. We had a guy named Lex Luger. Um, his, that actually wasn't his name, but uh, he was uh, called Lex Luger in the world 
uh, WWF um, as a total package. He played yep. offensive tackle. And um, one of the things that I always remember about our team was the characters. You know, we just had some amazing characters and some some great players. Um, Canadian football is different. It's fast. Um, it's interesting because the um, the uh, I always say it's the P, what quarterbacks do in the Canadian Football League. They get a PhD in passing because you got you know you got two plays basically to make a first down or you have to punt. So it's um, it's different, but it's fun. Can I, in looking back at your career, I mean, you've done it all. You've done it as a player, of course, uh, attending Miami University, capturing, uh, uh, captaining both the Redskins football and wrestling teams. You were great there. You did it as a coach. You've won championships. You've been around some of the best in the game and the NFL side, the CFL side. When you look back at your illustrious career, both as a player, as a coach, as a mentor, and now mentoring young people all over the world, what do you take the most pride in in terms of accomplishment-wise? Is there one that stands out above the rest? I think uh, the idea of giving back. Um, I was born, um, you know, born in Pennsylvania and raised in Ohio, and football is king in both of those states. And one of the one of the most fortunate uh, times I ever had was when uh, in high school, you know, our coach would t- tell us about the dedication and the the commitment, uh, basically, that it takes to win in football. And then um, as an example, uh, Don Shula would come to our practices, who was a former player at my high school. And I remember uh, Don was a player with the Cleveland Browns. And people made a lot out of Don Shula's jutting out chin. His jaw jutted out. Well, they didn't know the story. When Don was playing for the Cleveland Browns, he played defensive back. He broke his jaw early in the season and played the rest of the year with his – he played NFL football with his jaw wired shut and drank milkshakes just to get by on nutrition. And I always remembered what he said. You know, the the game is greater than any individual, and it's it's – if you honor the game, you know, it'll give back to you. And you have to honor the game by giving back to the people behind you know, that follow you. And that's kind of what we did with American Youth Football. We have kids who played, um, that are now coaching, who played in their hometowns. Uh, it's, it's amazing the circle of giving back. Uh, what football does to individuals, you know, it teaches them that work ethic, teaches them about teamwork. And uh, basically, it teaches you to give back uh, for the people who are on on the way to replacing you. And, of course, you have over 250,000 folks associated with American Youth Football. It is an absolute juggernaut. You have done an amazing job. Your family's done an amazing job. Can you speak to uh, the fact that you guys have been so much in the forefront of helping young kids throughout the world and around the United States, as well as guys like Randy Moss, who's been a part of the AYF as a spokesman in the past. I mean, you've done so much. Uh, the pride that you guys have, not only on the athlete side as far as football, but cheerleading, it's really been a labor of love for you and your family. I think that's, um, you know, that's what keeps me going. They say you have to do something uh, that you love, and uh, that's basically where, where it 
uh, where it is. It's um, get up in the morning and and look to see you know what what is developing, what we can do uh, to get out and help. It's almost like uh, watching the evening news and say we can help that area, we can help kids in that community, and we have. We've we've got some really good success stories, and we've got a lot of work to do. So um, between doing that work and seeing kids who probably wouldn't have succeeded without somebody uh, that believed in them, and, and that's what we always tell our people. You know, you be that guy. You be that guy that believed in this kid, and he'll you'll make a difference, and he can eventually make a difference. Our special guest Joe Gallat, of course. Uh, he's done it all, folks. He has been a player. He's been a coach. He's won championships. He's been around the best in the business in terms of the NFL and CFL, and also the president currently of the AYF American Youth Football and an author. Can we talk about this book? And it's exciting news. Can you let our listeners know where they can pick up a copy of your new book and tell us a little bit about it? Yes, our, uh, well, um, the uh, Amazon.com, and we're, we've got a very special price, fourteen ninety nine. Um, what um, what the book is about is, you know, you look out um, on on our landscape. You look at the football landscape, and you see some really great people. But you also look at what is lacking on, in some communities. And I think what's lacking in some communities is the cement that holds football players together. It's that that pride, the self the self identity. It's the um, the valor, and I use that word um, because it takes some valor today in this world to stand up. The, the the follow the follower is very common. Everybody can follow the follower, and it's kind of keep your head down, don't make any noise, and people people will uh, ignore you. And that's almost what people uh, now they want to be ignored rather than be the leader. So the book is Lessons in the 100-Yard Classroom. And the lessons from the 100-Yard Classroom basically are, are the same things that we hold true to our American values. It's, it's that whole idea of none of us are as big as all of us together, as the sum total of all those parts. And what we are trying to do now, uh, I think, is to bring the... Bring the um, confidence back to our youth. I think uh, we've had so many criticisms of, of our leaders on, on our, either side that our youth don't know where to go. I think it's a confusing time. And yes. also, you know, there's people who talk about screen time. Ironically, the screen time uh, used to be rationed off. Parents didn't want their kids to watch too too much of uh, TV, too much of video games. And now look at everybody. We're all doing Zoom. We're in classrooms, uh, virtual classrooms, and the screen time is dominating uh, dominating our world, and it's not healthy. Uh, psychologists tell us, you know, this isolation and quarantine that everybody's going through is not healthy. It's not, we're social animals. We need other people. And that is basically what I, what I tried to get to in the, in my book. I wanted to tell stories of real people and how they, connected with other people and the teamwork that it takes and the family unit 
is another theme that that rings through the book. Um, you know, the Earl Campbells who, when their first their first signing uh, uh, as they as they get drafted and sign their their um, they sign their contract, he built Earl built a house for his mother. Uh, when Earl made, uh, I remember about deep into his career, uh, mid mid through his career, he one game he was 250 yards rushing, and they asked him at the end of the game, "Well, how did you? Why did you accomplish all of that?" And uh, he said, "Well, my mom was in the stands today." So <laughs> that's the guy. You know, want to promote that family value. Um, I, I remember we had a big problem re-signing a linebacker when I was with the Giants named Brad Van Pelt, and they had talked to him. I mean, this is when million-dollar players started to become common, and they were talking to him about big a big contract, but he just didn't want to sign for some reason, and uh, Wellington Mara, the owner, said, could you take him out to dinner and see what really is going on here? we got to get him signed. So we went to dinner and we're talking and, and uh, I said, Brad, you know, they, you really got everybody worried. Uh, you, you know, you know what Wellington Mara told me, he said, once you're a giant, you're always a giant. And, and he wants you to always be a giant. But he said, what does it take to get you signed? He said, you know, he said, nobody's really asked me the bottom line. He said, it's not the money. He said, if my dad could see me play, if they would, if they would fly my dad to the home games, I'd sign tomorrow. Well, that was that was amazing because you know the cost of a airplane ticket compared to a cost of a contract pro contract. Um, they signed him the next week, and uh, his dad, sure enough, was there at every game. And I remember, um, oh, maybe two years ago or three years ago, there was a. His son went to Colorado State, and there was a terrible storm in Colorado, and they showed a picture of this one lone guy up in the stands, you know, braving all of that weather, the rain and the sleet and the snow, and there it was. That was Brad Van Pelt up in the, all alone up in the stands to watch his son play. So I think that wow. perpetuated itself. You know, the the idea that uh, my dad, I want to watch my dad to watch me play, and as a dad, I'm going to watch him play. Joe Galata, our special guest. Joe, I've got about a minute left, so I'm going to try to get two in real quick. Do you think there'll be a college and pro football season, yes or no? I think there will, yes. Limited, but there will be, yes. And uh, the final minute, can you please give us a message of hope uh, for the situation we're going through right now? Because you're a very positive guy. We'd love to hear something real quick before we end the interview here as far as what you think we can do to get through these times, which are very tough for everybody. Well, I think uh, there's no no greater country than the United States of America, and I know that our people are working diligently to come up with not only the cure, uh, a vaccine, but to come up with, uh, you know, the protocols to get us through this. And uh, we have to cooperate. We have to be a team. And uh, if we have to live behind some plexiglass for a while, if we have to wear a mask, let's do it because we can beat this bug. All right, Joe Gallat, our special friend, Montreal Canadian. My best to you and your family and uh, in Montreal, Canada, and, of course, uh, author of the book Lessons from the 100-Yard Classroom, How Youth Football Teaches American Values and Valor. you got to pick this one up. Joe, thank you so much for jumping on today. We look forward to hearing from you again and hopefully seeing you soon. You take care. My best to you and your family. 
Thank you, Jamie. The same to you. Joe Gallant, our special guest, is going to take our final time out. Come back. Ben's got a lot of news and notes, all that and more as the Sports King closes it out on this Friday morning. Hi, this is Mark Mosley of the Washington Redskins, NFL MVP in 1982. You're listening to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's summer, and this year, everyone's looking for a reason to get out of the house. Well, here's a great one. The Honda Summer Clearance Event. Get APR financing as low as 0.9%, plus our lowest prices of the year on new 2019 and 2020 Hondas. Can't get out? We'll bring our dealership to you with CMA's Easy Purchase. Just visit cmacars.com and do the entire buying process online. CMA's Colonial Honda. Moving lives forward. On select models with approved credit through 831 2020. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Friday morning closing now. Thanks to Joe Gallant, our good friend, uh, Montreal, Canada. We appreciate him, president of AYF, American Youth Football. Before we get out of here, we want to go through today's NBA scoreboard 130. The Raptors at the Nets. Well, they're not actually at the Nets. They're at the ESPN Wild World Complex, but you know where I'm coming from here. The Nuggets at Jazz. Celtics take on the 76ers in a must-win game for the 76ers. And the Clippers and Mavericks are tied at one game apiece. That's what's happening on the NBA side, and we've got to uh, go to Ben at headquarters. He's got some golf news and some other things happening this weekend. Yes, good morning again, Jamie. The leaderboard looks like this for the Northern Trust. It is, of course, the first the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, right now you've got a pair of Aussies. That's right, some Aussies, I believe, at the top of the leaderboard right now. Or Actually, New Zealand is uh, the one gentleman – that would be Danny Lee at 12 under par, and then the Aussie Cameron Davis. Hey, the flags look kind of similar. That That's what throws me off. Um, Cameron Davis and Danny Lee tied it for the lead at 12 under at the moment. Uh, running down on some of the other names that uh, are of note on the leaderboard, uh, Bubba Watson at 8 under, a couple of shots back. Um, Louis Wustazen goes off later at 6 under par. Uh, Kevin Streelman at 8 under. So uh, if you're into golf, of course, the, the Northern Trust going on this weekend, and it is pretty important, again, being the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, they head into the BMW Championship next week. And, of course, two weeks from now, you have the Tour Championship, the grand finale for the FedEx Cup playoffs down there at East Lake, outside of Atlanta. Um, looking at the NASCAR front for this weekend, a doubleheader out in Dover, up, or up in Dover, Delaware, I should say. Chase Elliott will start from the pole for the first leg of the doubleheader tomorrow afternoon in the Cup Series uh, up at Dover International Speedway. Uh, it'll be Chase Elliott rolling off first. Denny Hamlin starts second. Uh, Martin Truex Jr., Clint Boyer, Joey Logano, Jimmy Johnson, Brad Keselowski, William Byron, Kurt Busch, and Kevin Harvick round out your top ten starters. And as we mentioned a little while ago as as well, uh, Sunday afternoon, I believe the green will fly around the in the neighborhood of 2.30 on NBC. It'll be the 104th running of 
uh, the greatest spectacle in racing, that being the Indianapolis 500. I know I'll be tuned in. Marco Andretti leads the field to the green flag. And like we said earlier, that's the first time an Andretti has led the field to the green from the pole in the Indy 500 since his grandfather Mario did it back in 1987. So a lot happening on the golf front this weekend and then a lot also happening on the racing front uh, if you're a race fan too this weekend, and I'll send it back to you. Absolutely. And one note, uh, of course, Tiger Woods was three under, open up with a 68 in that tournament. So uh, I can't believe he's that far back. Uh, the leader 12 under now, so he's got a lot of ground to make up this weekend. But, of course, that's the Northern Trust in Boston. Of course, 9500000 on the line. Your defending champion is Patrick Reed, and Ben was uh, great on that update on the NASCAR side. And, of course, the Formula One and uh, all of the uh, situation with the Indy 500, of course, all the excitement. And Ben said, hey, this Marco Andretti, hey, everybody's talking about him. He's on the pole. And as you say, when you roll off first, you got a, a great a chance as, as anyone in terms of winning there. So hopefully that first place uh, pole situation will allow them to uh, – roll off and have a good run this weekend. Of course, the Minnesota Timberwolves want to let you know they won the top pick in the 2020 draft lottery. This was Thursday. Of course, the Timberwolves ended the season with the league's third worst record. Of course, they'll be followed by the Golden State Warriors, who had the second worst, and the Charlotte Hornets and Chicago Bulls in the draft, which will take place on October 16th. There's a lot of steps left in the journey for us, but today was a significant one. Timberwolves President of Basketball Operations Gerson Rosas said, We're excited about the potential level of player we can add to our organization, but at the same time, we're going to be very aggressive and look at every avenue to improve this team. We have two young stars in Carl Anthony Towns out of Kentucky and D'Angelo Russell that we're building this together with. We've got a great team of young core uh, that's going to be uh, great in the future. It's not the youngest team in the NBA, but we have a lot of upside. Uh, basically, this is going to allow us. Some people are saying Carmelo uh, Anthony is a guy that may leave uh, where he's at now and maybe end up there. Guys like that veteran, you know, they're trying to bring some veterans maybe that contracts are up to bring in to, to try to do some things. LaMelo Ball is projected as maybe the number one player in the draft. He might be their target. I'm not sure about that. A lot of people have different takes on who's the best player right now. I don't know if he is the guy, but he definitely is going to get uh, some major consideration. So our special thanks again. Go out to Joe Galat, the president of American Youth football we appreciate him joining us in hour two and we thank all of you for joining us throughout the week it's been a long week but we got a lot of sports going on happily uh, major league baseball got some things happening there and of course we're excited about the weekend with all the racing news ben just mentioned as well as the golf and of course uh, the nba playoffs in the nhl unfortunately the capitals fell short yesterday for nothing uh, don't get me started on that. It was so disappointed they did not come to play, and they were just not the team. Give Barry Trouts and the Islanders a lot of credit. They had their number, and the Capitals can go get their golf clubs. That's going to wrap it up for Ben. I'm Jamie. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week for the Monday edition of the Sports King Show. Have a great weekend.